Good morning, church. So good to be with you. You know what I'm excited about, actually, more than anything? One service means I can preach for two hours. Let's go. We're going full black church this morning. Um, if you don't know who I am, my name is Sia. Um, and I'm actually quite excited to share with you guys this morning the message I've, I believe God has laid on my heart. And it's confirmed because some of the stuff that Ross was speaking about or touching on is some of the stuff that I'm going to be unpacking with us this morning. We're in a series now over this Christmas period around the gift that matters. Now, normally when we get to this time of year, I think for most of us and possibly even all of us in the room, we get to a, a point where Christmas can be somewhat of a rudimentary or normal or just a, a thing that we do to the point where we might even lose somewhat of an expectation or an expectancy for God to still do something new in us. Now, for the next four weeks, I'd like to encourage you, where maybe you might be tempted to like dabble or come one week and I'll miss the next week or I'll watch online or whatever. Could you commit to four weeks of church, but not just coming to church, actually coming to church with an expectant spirit for God to speak to you uniquely and specifically? That this time wasn't just a thing that we do at church. Cool, it's that time of year again. No, it's not. It might be, yes, in the calendar, but God is not doing the same thing that he did last year. He might be doing a new thing in you this year. With me? Amen. So for the next four weeks, can we just commit to church? And if you, those watching online, come to church. It's not the same without you. Um, now, I know that most of us aren't used to double dipping in church, like coming twice. Um, but I would encourage you, I've heard it said that if you come to church twice, you get a double portion blessing. <laughs> so if you come now and again this evening, you might be in for a very, 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 very blessed Christmas season. There's a portion of scripture that we're going to be unpacking and looking at over the course of this series. And we're going to be breaking it up little by little over the course of the weeks to come. I'm going to be unpacking the beginning of those, but I'm going to read that for us this morning and I'm going to pray and then we're going to talk about some God stuff. Is that cool? Amazing. So Isaiah chapter 9 says this, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fueled for the fire, fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So God, we thank you so much for giving us the greatest gift in the history of humanity. And that's your son. We don't want to take this moment for granted or take it lightly, but we pray, Father, that you would speak to us in a new and in a fresh way, this Christmas season. Our hearts are open, our minds are open, our souls are but fertile soil for you to plant a new seed this season. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I'm going to be unpacking nine chapter, I mean, chapter 9, verse 2, and it says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This morning, I want to unpack on the subject, the space between. Now, you might be wondering what the space, the space between what. So I'm going to give you a few examples for us to look at together. The space between losing something and finding it. The space between the thing that you are praying for and trusting God for and him actually answering your prayer request or delivering the thing that you want him to do. The space between the conception of an idea and its execution. Between most things in our lives, if not all things in our lives, there exists that space between. Now I want to unpack just the first one. Let's play with this example. So between losing something and finding it. Now, I'm sure most of us have heard the saying, nothing is ever truly lost in your house until your mom can't find it. <laughs> in a black home, nothing is ever truly lost in your house until you can't find it. Because if your mom has to find it, she's going to whip you behind because she told you exactly where to find it. Here's how that story plays out. I couldn't recall an exact story when mom did that to me, but like, um, here's how it will go. See, I go get my green scarf in my cupboard, in my wardrobe or whatever, in between these two sections behind my pants. Cool. You walk up to there and you, you're young, so you're going to look like a child. You just pee your head, one, two, nope. Mama can't find my scarf, I mean your scarf. And she says, boy, if I have to come there and find it, I'm going to tattoo your butt. <laughs> um, and so now you, you're filled with fear. So like, okay, I have to actually really find this scarf because anybody if you get a weapon on Christmas. So uh, you go and you look. Now, to show that you actually really did look, you find every single scarf that exists in that cupboard. You grab, so you come back with evidence. I can't find the scarf. These are the ones I could find. She's like, boy, goes, grabs the green scarf. Now, at that moment, your soul leaves your body. <laughs> at that exact moment, you're like, the only thing you can do is fake an injury because it's about to go down. <laughs> but originally, in the first of those, I think in the first way is that you walk up to something and that, that space between is somewhat minimal because you think you're going to find the thing that you're looking for. And when you don't, then you begin to get a little bit frustrated or angry or begin to ponder, where could I put this thing or where is this thing that I am looking for? You pause, you contemplate, you consider. The space between begins to extend a great deal. And then when you eventually do find the thing that you're looking for, you let out a sigh of relief. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I'd like to submit to us this morning that should we not have experienced that space between, when we found the thing that we were looking for, it wouldn't have been quite as good to find it. Think of it this way. When you go look for something that you want and you find it, cool. It becomes casual. It becomes normal. Okay, now let's take it a step further. Let's call that space between waiting. From the moment that you're praying for something from God and the moment that he delivers the thing that you are praying for, does something in response to your prayers, what exists is the space between, and it's called waiting. That waiting is never comfortable. It's never easy. It's never what we want because no one wants to wait. Hashtag home affairs represent. <laughs> no one wants to wait. But I'd like to submit to us this morning that possibly we wouldn't have enjoyed the thing that God does 
had we not have waited. That the waiting is somewhat necessary for us to enjoy the thing that God does. Maybe not for your circumstance, maybe just in you. Our walk with God is very rarely, if ever, exclusive of waiting. When you pray, you wait. Let on your life for, what, for, for God and cool. God, what's your purpose? You wait. We wait. But our waiting is never, ever wasted because God is always working. A couple of chapters before that chapter 9, there's a period in history where God's people waited. So chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah says this to God's people. He says this prophecy. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now this was 700 years before Jesus was born. But let's put ourselves in the shoes of the Israelites for a moment. Because, I mean, you've got to imagine that when they heard this, they thought this prophecy is going to be fulfilled within our lifetime. We just need to wait a short while. 50 years goes by. At that point, they begin to ask questions. God, are you still there? Is this prophecy still a thing? Now, you're held together by a bit of hope because God is still speaking, still working through the prophets. So you believe that God is still going to fulfill that prophecy. But you're stuck in the space between. You're stuck in the waiting. Because chapter 9 tells you exactly what that son is going to do and going to accomplish for his people and people everywhere. So there's a great deal of expectation for the son to arrive and do the thing that God said he's going to do. But they're stuck in somewhat of a waiting period, the space between. A hundred years goes by. Okay, are you playing with me, God? Because surely we shouldn't have to wait this long. 200 years goes by. Okay. Now, God, I'm getting a little bit frustrated. I don't know what's happening. We want to see this son do this thing that he absolutely said he'd do. And now they, through the process of elimination, not a virgin, not a virgin, not a virgin, a virgin. Could it be her? But they're experiencing a roller coaster of emotions. And some might doubt, have given up hope, turned their back. You know what? This prophecy isn't going to be a thing. Now, we could imagine after 300 years, God would be like, okay, fine, it's time. Nope. We get to the end of the book of Malachi. And from that point on, God goes absolutely quiet. Now, it makes even less sense. Surely, after 300 years, you'd speak more going or leading up to the thing that you said that you're going to do, you'd be far more active. But we have what's known as the intertestamental period where God just was silent. And it seemed like he was doing nothing. Now, because the Israelites had an experience of who God was, they'd passed on the story of a Messiah who would be promised, a son who would come from generation to generation, holding on to somewhat of a bit of hope that this prophecy will be fulfilled. Frustrated, doubting, 
questioning, asking, God, where are you? What are you doing? They were stuck in a space between their waiting for 700 years. Now I want to speak to three groups of people here this morning. Because I believe that most of us, if not all of us in the room, are waiting for something from God. I'd like to just give you somewhat of an encouragement. Your walk with God is very rarely ever exclusive of waiting on God. You might be here this morning or watching online, and you might be asking God the question, God, if you're real, would you reveal yourself to me? Five, six, seven months goes by, and you're just stuck in the waiting, in the space between. It seems like he's not answering your prayer or doing anything, so you're starting to ask questions or get a little bit despondent or lose heart. Because you're waiting, frustrated, questioning, doubting. Okay, well, this thing isn't really panning out, so what's the point? Or you might be here this morning, and the last two years have somewhat rocked your world, that you feel like that lost sheep out in the wilderness, who now, because your eyes have turned away from your Savior, you, turn into, you switch to survival mode. Circumstances are forced you to just make do. But you don't want to live your life that way. So you're praying and asking God, Lord, redirect me. Pull me back on the right path. I don't want to live in survival mode. I want to depend on a Savior. I want to depend on Jesus. Lord, bring me back. Find me. But you've been praying that prayer for some time, for a while, and you're stuck in the waiting. It seems like he's not saying anything. He's silent. It appears like he's absent. Well, the third group of people this morning who are in a very close and intimate relationship with Jesus, but you're trusting him for a breakthrough. You need a miracle. You need him to move a mountain. You need him to whisper to you. You need him to speak to you. But it just seems like he's not saying anything. God, where are you? What's the point of this? Waiting. If you're waiting this morning, I want to encourage you. Your waiting is never wasted because God is always working. Just because God is silent or may seem like he's silent doesn't mean he's absent. One pastor said that God's delays aren't necessarily God's denials. That 400-year period where it seemed like God was doing nothing, was at his most quiet in the course of history, he was actually working. In your waiting, God is working. You might not see it or feel it, but he's working. It's often at the back end of the thing that you are trusting God for that you realize the wait was well worth it because God was working. So for those 400 years, quite a few things happened. I'm going to touch on five that happened in those 400 years of seeming silence from God. 
So Alexander the Great conquered the known world in those 400 years and got everyone speaking somewhat, not somewhat, got everyone speaking a similar language, which is Greek. Next thing that happened is the Old Testament was translated into Greek from Hebrew. So everyone could read the Bible in the language that they understood. And then the Socratic method was developed within those 400 years, which means that teaching was no longer, I'm going to tell you, but you get to also ask questions. It was a two-way communication. At about 63 BC, fourth thing, is that the Romans conquered the Greeks. But it was an unprecedented and unusual time of peace within that period. So they developed roads, highways, and a transportation system. And the last thing that happened is the Jewish people who were not for this were banished from Jerusalem. And they spread out throughout the Roman world. So let's just collect those thoughts for a second. Now everyone could read the Bible in a language that they understood. It seemed like God wasn't working, but he was. They could read about this prophecy of a son who would be born of a virgin, who would come to accomplish what we unpacked in chapter 9 of the book of Isaiah. So they get to expect this prophecy to be fulfilled, but they're also still stuck in the waiting. God's people, the Jewish people, get to take the same message throughout the known Roman world of a Messiah who would come. It seemed like God was silent, but in the waiting, he was working. He didn't cause those things, but he definitely used them. In your waiting, God is working. We get to not waste our waiting in how we wait. We get to wait well. It might seem like the absolute darkest period in your journey with God, the thing that you're waiting for, the thing that you're trusting God for, the thing that you're expecting Him to do. It might seem like the darkest period, but a light has dawned. When? At just the right time. Now I can't tell you when that is, but you'll know. Because at just the right time, God's delay will very quickly turn into God's delivery when both you and it are ready. There are two things that God does in your waiting. Not only, but there, I'm going to unpack too. The first of those things that God does in our waiting is that he could be working on it. The thing that you are trusting God for. You're possibly in group one just asking God to reveal himself to you. God, show me that you exist. But he could be working through people, saying random comments that seem like they don't make any sense or throwaway comments. But he is working for that moment when you encounter Jesus. Or group two, where it seems like you're somewhat lost, but you're calling out to your Savior. But you might realize that he's been calling out to you all along. You just needed to look up. Or group three, where you're trusting God for a breakthrough, 
but you realize that God is still working in this person's heart and doing this thing to make this thing work at the right way, the right time. And when everything comes together, it just seems so perfect. God might be working on it. Keep waiting. The second thing, which is, I think, the more likely of the two, God is working on you. You might not be at a place where you would receive the thing that God is asking, I mean, that you're asking from God, and still depend on Him. So He's teaching you to trust Him, teaching you to be patient, teaching you to be faithful in the season, teaching you to wait well. Had you not waited, you wouldn't appreciate the thing that God then chooses to do on the back end of your waiting. God could very well be working on you while you wait. He never wastes your waiting. When you and I choose to wait well. And the only way I think that we can wait well is to wait for him, wait on him, and wait in him. For at just the right time, his delays will turn into his delivery when both you and it are ready. Because at just the right time, for, after 700 years, it says this in Galatians 4.4, 4, but when the said time had fully come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. For at just the right time, the prayer that you've been praying, the thing that you're waiting for, will be at your door. At just the right time. Friends, wait on God. With a great sense of expectation for what is to come. Or dare I say, a level of rejoicing in the wait. Now, when we wait, well, I'm not saying ignore your emotions. Do the atypical Christian thing. I'm just going to wait on God because they told me to wait on God. Nope. Let that journey be as honest and as vulnerable as possible. God, I'm feeling somewhat frustrated that I don't seem to hear you. He's not afraid of your emotions. He put them there. Well, he knows them, not that he made you frustrated. He's not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your worry. He's not afraid of your fear. He absolutely wants both you and whatever you're feeling in the wait. And watch as he works in you and on it. God never wastes our waiting because he's always, always working. He didn't waste, waste the Israelites' 700-year wait because at just the right time, Jesus was born. And we can imagine that for Mary and Joseph, all the stories that they heard of uh, the son that will be born began to make sense. The prophecies that had been passed down from generation to generation began to make sense. It's only after we've waited that our waiting it reveals to us that it was worth it because we see the work that God is doing. Now, I'm also very aware that 
Um, this could seem uh, like a little bit of a fairy tale where you feel like you might be waiting on your own. You're the only one in the room that's waiting. I mean, you could look to your left and right and I'd say no, but if you don't believe that the guys in your row are waiting, look at the history of the Bible. Abraham waited 25 years to hold baby Isaac in his arms. And in those 25 years, God is working on him, not on Isaac. Joseph, shown that he'd be a ruler, but was in prison for 13 years as he waited while God was working on him. And when at just the right time, how he would rule would be of honor to the God who put him there. Your walk with God is very rarely, if ever, exclusive of waiting. Friends, wait well. Isaiah says this in chapter 64, verse 4. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived. When I read that, I'm like, how does an ear perceive? Surely an eye perceives, but... Um, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. When you wait for him, he is acting on your behalf. The thing you're waiting for, he is acting on your behalf. The Israelites waited, he was acting on their behalf. When we wait, he is acting on our behalf. Wait for him. Wait for him. For at just the right time, the thing that you're waiting for, whether it or even within you, will be yours. Will be yours. Now we're going to take a moment together. To, uh, in a response to what I'm saying. Because all of faith is a response to the thing that God initiated. Because here's what I want you to also get from this thing. is that God is what doesn't want to give you stuff. That's not how he operates. Yeah, the stuff comes and it's nice. It's a secondary thing. But he really actually wants you. And before the foundations of the earth, he's been pursuing you. He sent his son at just the right time because he's pursuing you. If you're in group one this morning, asking God to reveal himself, the answer, one of the answers is Jesus, his son, the greatest gift in the history of humanity. If you're in group two, asking God to redirect you, bring you back on the right path, the answer is Jesus. He's calling out to you. See ya. And when I just take a moment to pause and listen, I recognize the voice of my shepherd. Enough to turn around or look around and realize he's actually really been pursuing me this whole time. Or you're in group three, 
waiting for a breakthrough from God, asking the question of when you're going to see your miracle happen. God could be saying, okay, wait, let's just put the miracle aside for a moment. I just want you. See, in our way, we could often think that the delivery of the thing that we're waiting for depends on our performance, our quiet time, how much we pray. Those things are good, but I think that there is secondary. The wait becomes worth it because of the work that He does and not you and I do. I want to say to you this morning that Jesus is pursuing you. Your Father in heaven is pursuing you. You pursuing Him in your weight is just a response to Him pursuing you. We find all of the answers that we're looking for in Jesus this morning. So if you're waiting for something this morning, won't you stand? close eyes and whatever the thing that you're waiting for you're trusting for from God or expecting him to do or expecting him to change or whatever the thing that you're waiting for won't you hold it in the front of your mind first thing I want to say the thing that you're waiting for God knows we're going to pray together that whatever the work that he's doing in our weight, that it could do a deep work in our hearts as we wait on him. We thank you so much, Dad, that you are a God who sees, a God who is compassionate, who is never too far from, from us. Our worries, our fears, our doubts, our dreams, our hopes, you're never too far, Dad. Father, we pray that in the waiting, the thing that we're waiting for, that it doesn't become about the stuff, but it's about you. Teach us to depend on you in the wait, in, in the wait to rely on you in the wait, to trust in you in the wait, to turn to you in the wait, to lift up our heads, to hear your voice in the wait. Father, teach us to wait well on you, trusting that you will work on our behalf. May it be an honest journey, a real and raw one. May we invite you into the things that we feel, the roller coaster of emotions, as you work both on it and on us. That at just the right time, the thing that we're waiting for will be delivered to us when it and us are ready. We thank you for your son that you sent some 2,000 years ago. that allows us to be even in this place, praying to a Father who loves us so deeply and so uniquely 
trusting him in the waiting and trusting in his timing. You're never late. You're never early. You're always just on time. So won't you do a deep work in us, Father, as we wait? Won't you increase our expectation as we wait? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friends, there are ice lollies and candy canes outside. Don't rush off. We'd love to connect with you. Um, And then come back tonight. Double fortune blessing. It's a real thing.